Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. This week, I didn't have a ton of new movies to review because the biggest movie that's coming out, or that came out the weekend of April, excuse me, May 19th through 21st, is Fast X, which is the 10th Fast and Furious movie. Now, I have a rule. Number one, I don't watch movies that are sequels if I haven't seen the original, unless I'm really pushed to do so. And number two, I really don't have any interest in the Fast and Furious movies. I don't really care who's acting in them, who's not acting in them. I didn't see the first Fast and Furious movie when it came out 22 years ago, and I haven't seen any one since then. But I'm not going to review Fast X because I, I haven't seen it. But I do have two other brand new movies to review for you, and one that is new-ish. It came out a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to review it for you later in the show. So I might as well start with the movie that is arguably the newest and probably has the greatest appeal. And I use that somewhat lightly. At least it has a lot of international appeal. I'm not sure about American or Canadian appeal. And the vast majority of the people who listen to me are in America and Canada. Although I do have some international listeners, and thank you so much for tuning in, by the way. But the first movie I'm going to be... The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom. Now, in Europe, especially in France, the characters of Asterix and Obelix need no introduction. However, in America, there is somewhat of a small cult following behind this cartoon character, so I'll give you a very brief description of the character. So, Asterix is a character that is a member of a tribe called the Gaul, which existed in France years before Christ was born. And Asterix is a cartoon character that I think can be compared somewhat maybe to Robin Hood, other times to Don Quixote. He certainly has aspects of those kinds of characters that are both legendary and continue to be published in books to this day, but also has a bit of a comic element to it. It's sort of a very fun way to learn about history before the birth of Christ, not to mention world history as well. So in the comic book Asterix the Gaul, the character Asterix, who's joined by his much larger companion Obelix, have many adventures as they are out hunting and defending their tribe. And they also run into many other historical characters in history, including but not limited to Julius Caesar and Queen Cleopatra. And that's just to name a few. Asterix was originally serialized in a magazine by the name of Pilote, which debuted in 1959. And in 1961, the first book was put together, um, which was called Asterix the Gaul. And there have been many, many comic books about the character Asterix and almost too many uh, films that have been based on the characters to name here. In fact, there are probably about two dozen films that have been made so far, including the most recent live action films that have been made. But the very first feature film that was based on the character was called Asterix the Gaul. It was an animated movie that came out in 1967. It was a huge hit in France, and it received limited distribution here in the United States. But Walt Disney Home Video actually released some of the Asterix animated movies sort of as a Walt Disney Presents rather than taking full credit for Uh, creating the characters, which Disney most certainly didn't. But they did help distribute the characters here in the States. But while Disney did release them on videotape, they, as far as I know, did not release them in the United States or Canada, i.e. Region 1, on DVD, Blu-ray, or even on streaming. It's not available to stream on Disney Plus or any other popular streaming platforms. But these other films may be. 
So the movie I'm about to review for you is a live action film. It's called Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom. And lo and behold, it's actually the fifth live action film in a series. And which started with a movie called Asterix and Obelix versus Caesar, which came out in 1999. That was followed by Asterix and Obelix Mission Cleopatra in 2002. Asterix at the Olympic Games in 2008. A great time to release a film about the Olympic Games, by the way. Uh, Asterix and Obelix, God Save Britannia, which came out in 2012. And then there's this film, which came out in 2023. Now, it was originally released theatrically in France on February 1st, 2023. But it was released in select regions, including in the United States, I think all over the U.S., on May 19th, 2023. And while I do have a rule about sequels, which Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom, technically is, I made an exception with this rule because I really, really needed a new film to review for you here. But I gave you a basic introduction about the characters of Asterix and Obelix, and I might as well tell you that in this film, which is live action, and it probably should have been animated, but again, it's the fifth film in a line of Asterix live action films. Asterix is played by Guillaume Canet, and Obelix is played by Gilles Le Locher. And forgive me very, very much if I mispronounce those names because they are French. These are French actors, and I did not take a day of French classes in my entire life, including. I, I don't know how to pronounce certain French names that aren't Maurice Chevalier or Gerard Depoidot. So just bear with me here. But in this film, Asterix and Obelix are in their tribe of Gaul, which is in northwestern France. And they come in contact with a Chinese a princess by the name of Fu Yi, who is the only daughter of the Chinese emperor Han Zhang. Zhuandi, who, who was actually a real person, and Princess Fu Yi escapes from a rogue prince by the name of Deng Sing Quin and flees to Gaul, seeking help from Asterix and Obelix. And even though I'm not too generally familiar with Asterix and Obelix, I haven't read very many of the comic books. I probably told you more than you probably knew about the two characters but I, I had to do a lot of research before doing this podcast. But there is a lot that's going on. But that is the basis of the story. And even though I'm not especially familiar with the characters, I'm kind of vaguely familiar with them. Sort of more of a comic Robin Hood and Little John. I still saw this film and I was impressed by a lot of things. And truth is, Asterix and Obelix The Middle Kingdom is one of those movies that you may not enjoy if you're A, not French, and or B, not familiar with these characters. But even though I'm not as familiar with these characters as somebody who grew up in France, I still saw this movie and I got the basic gist of what these characters are and how they interact and, and live in the barbaric world in which they live. And I also got that it was a comedy, but there, there are some interesting comedic choices that the director, Game Kane, who also plays Asterix, made. And there's some very impressive cinematography here as well. But one of the parts that made me laugh the most was when Princess Fu Yi, who's played in this movie by Julie Chen, uh, steps out of her carriage for the first time and Asterix sees her for the first time. And the song that plays when Asterix sees her, which indicates love at first sight, is actually the Lionel Richie song, Say You, Say Me. It's a very random choice for a song to play in 50 BC to give the idea of love at first sight. But the fact that the song was so random instantly made me laugh as well. It also made me laugh how Asterix reacted in that I guess there's something with the helmet he wears that has wings on it, and when he feels a certain way, the wings move. And it's very hard to describe in just audio right here, but it, it did make me laugh a lot. But it also, I think, told a really good story as well. 
So I do acknowledge that Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom, is a sequel, but I think from the first 10 minutes of the film, you kind of get, through some narration, but also through some of the character interactions, that this is supposed to be funny. And you also get a sense of the characters as well. And this is also the first live-action Asterix film not based on any of the comic albums or starring Gerard Depoideau as uh, Asterix sidekick Obelix. But I saw it. I got some laughs from it. But I don't know if my rating system here really works because maybe on the one hand, I'm not entirely well-versed or familiar with the characters. But on the other hand, I'm not exactly disappointed either. I think that the film is very impressive in its cinematography and its character development. And for somebody who's not French, who's vaguely familiar with the characters, to still get laughs out of it like I did, I interestingly liked it. And so for that reason, Asterix and Obelix, the Magic King, excuse me, the Middle Kingdom, don't want to get the kingdoms confused there. Asterix and Obelix, the Middle Kingdom, gets my rating of a knockout. I think it was very well filmed, very well acted. There were some parts that unexpectedly made me laugh. And it also had somewhat of a pretty good history lesson in there as well. It's probably not historically accurate. It's meant more to be comical. But the fact that it's grounded in the ideas of people who actually lived around 50 BC and sort of taking a historical fiction comic spin on that is actually very impressive. Some pe- something that will probably turn some people who are not who don't speak a word of French off is the fact that you do have to read the bottom of the screen throughout this film, but that didn't bother me seeing as I review a lot of foreign films and I still got my share of laughs from it. But even if you don't know what they're saying, I think there are some things that are visually and probably even to a a certain extent, um, audioly appealing to this film as well. And I think that whether you're familiar or not familiar with the characters of Asterix and Obelix, if you have an open mind, you will find enjoyment in Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom. What I wish is that I could probably watch the other live-action films that came before it, but alas, they're not readily available on a lot of streaming platforms here in the United States and Canada, and that's too bad. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Anna Nicole Smith, You Don't Know Me, which is both a Netflix original and it is also a documentary about, yeah, you guessed it, Anna Nicole Smith, who was born Vicki Lynn Hogan on November 28th, 1967, in a small town in Texas that's called Mejia. And one thing that I found interesting about this documentary, but it's called You Don't Know Me. And yeah, I didn't know Anna Nicole Smith. I knew of her, but I didn't really know her. But Mejia, probably one of the fascinating parts of this documentary, the, the, ta- the town of Mejia is, called, is spelled M-E-X-I-A. So it looks like Mexia, but because it is a Spanish word, it's pronounced Mejia. But anyway, it's it's a small town within the vicinity of Houston, Texas, where Anna Nicole Smith was raised. And this movie starts right from the beginning where it shows Anna Nicole Smith with a, a lot of archive footage in her small town going from high school where she was, well, admired for obvious reasons. And she made some mistakes in her teenage years, including getting married and having a child. I don't want to say the child was a mistake. It was probably one of the best things to happen to Anna Nicole Smith, but what happened to that child later? Well, if you've been paying attention to the news reports, you know what happened rather uh, tragically, but Anna Nicole Smith, when she was Vicki Lynn Hogan, uh, dropped out of high school in 1984, married in 1985 and divorced in 1993 
1994, she had a highly publicized second marriage to an 89-year-old billionaire who got rich from oil whose name was J. Howard Marshall. And for obvious reasons, a lot of people uh, speculated that she married him for his money, which she denied. And there's enough evidence in this documentary that may lead you to extrapolate that it wasn't a marriage of money, but even I could see from the news reports that emerged in the 90s and aughts that it looked like a case of a freeloader or a gold digger. But apparently, following Marshall's death in 1995, Smith began a legal lengthy battle over a share of his estate, and her cases reached the Supreme Court of the United States. There was actually a case of the Supreme Court, actually two cases. One is Marshall versus Marshall on a question of federal jurisdiction, and Stern versus Marshall on a question of bankruptcy court authority. A lot of legal stuff here, and it's all in the documentary, and I won't give it away. And it is a relatively good documentary detailing Anna Nicole Smith's life. And Anna Nicole Smith, both from her paparazzi photos, some of the personal video that she took herself, and along with that ill-advised and probably ill-fated reality show that she did on E! called The Anna Nicole Smith Show, there's a lot of archive footage here to work with. But considering that the subtitle of this documentary is You Don't Know Me, I actually really wanted to know more about her life, and the documentary didn't really tell me a lot. I really wanted to know more about her early life, and it's vaguely detailed what her early life was like, or at least it's vaguely described by the people who are interviewed here and by Anna Nicole Smith herself. You don't exactly know if she, you could presume that she grew up not rich, probably middle, middle class at best, but you're not exactly sure how her parents treated her. Well, she was raised by her biological mother and her stepfather. Her stepfather was interviewed for this documentary. Her mother, unfortunately, died of cancer a few years ago. But it is kind of puzzling, considering how Anna Nicole Smith was, you know, detailed or rather documented her own life, that there's little footage of her mother being interviewed. And there are, there are some conflicting reports that this documentary, which is directed by Ursula McFarlane, details here. Some reports say that she was abused horrifically by her biological mother. And there are other people who claim that she basically made that story up to get more, get better publicity. I don't exactly know. And when I was starting out this documentary, I was familiar with Anna Nicole Smith from Playboy. And yes, I did read Playboy. Well, sometimes sometimes read it, sometimes looked at the pictures, and I saw plenty of pictures of Anna Nicole Smith. So I was familiar with her there. Don't judge me. <laughs> and if you're judging me, yeah, uh, l- let he who has never read, read Playboy cast the first stone. That's all I have to say. But... I also haven't seen a full episode of her of the reality show that used to be on E, but even though that probably made her some money, that did damage her reputation a lot. And I do remember back at the time her reality show was on, I remember Conan O'Brien used to make fun of her mercilessly, and he was probably not the only talk show host that did. In fact, there was one episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien where Conan O'Brien said that there was one episode where... I said that Anna Nicole Smith was as big as a whale. Well, she's on the show tonight, and I'd like to apologize to her. And so they pull back the curtains, and behind that curtain is a giant whale. And Conan O'Brien says, Well, I'm sorry for comparing you to Anna Nicole Smith. And I'll admit, jokes like that made me laugh a lot. (laughs) And I expected when I saw this documentary that I would feel bad about laughing at some of those jokes. And at the end... Well, I can't say I'd laugh at somebody else's misfortune. And I did feel a lot of sympathy towards Anna Nicole Smith towards the end. (sighs) Yeah, that's where I feel really bad, especially 
towards the last 20 minutes of this documentary where something very tragic happens before Anna Nicole Smith dies. Somebody else in her life who's very close to her dies. And when that's hap- when that happens, that it, that is a major punch to the gut. And it was one of those things that I remember hearing on the news, but I hadn't thought about it for a very long time because Anna Nicole Smith's death overshadowed the death that came months before her death, big time. And people are still talking about her death and whether or not she brought it on herself thinking that she would die young or if it was even more tragic than that. And unfortunately, Anna Nicole Smith, You Don't Know Me, doesn't give you that sort of narrative focus that makes this documentary even more compelling. It tells you a lot of the basics about Anna Nicole Smith, but it doesn't really delve much deeper. In fact, probably the Anna Nicole Smith show that was on E! in 2002 probably tells you a bit more. And that's really unfortunate because the Anna Nicole Smith show was largely exploitation. Anna Nicole Smith herself was in on that exploitation, but it's still um, exploitation nonetheless. So Anna Nicole Smith, You Don't Know Me, gets my rating of a checkout. I did watch this film and I appreciated some things about Anna Nicole Smith's life, but I feel like I should have appreciated something a little more. And her early life was described very vaguely, which is all the more ironic considering how much Anna Nicole Smith documented her life. But I really wanted more, and in the end, the subtitle of this documentary was You Don't Know Me, and my response to that subtitle is, yeah, I still don't. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Before this segment, actually a couple of segments earlier, I was reviewing a film that was made in France that was called Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom. And now I have another French film to review that, unlike the Asterix and Obelix live action film, was released exclusively on Netflix, both here in the States and Canada, and also in its native France. This movie is a far cry from Asterix and Obelix. The movie is called AKA, and it was released on April 28th, 2023. So this is a film to which I'm a little late to review for you, but I really needed another film to review, and this is it. So it's new-ish, it's just not brand new to my high standards of film reviews. But AKA is an action film that is directed by Morgan S. Dalabert and written by Mr. Dalabert and Alban Lenore. And Alban Lenore stars in this film as Adam, excuse me, Adam Franco, who is a multi-identity special ops agent working on behalf of the French government under the helm of a mysterious Kruger, played by Tybalt de Montalembert. I hope I pronounced those names right, me not being French, at least as far as I know. But anyway, at first, Adam has a first mission in Tunisia, which is kind of confusing. At first, it's filmed very well. In fact, it's filmed in one shot that has some very impressive cinematography. But the person he tries to save, or you think he's trying to save, he ends up shooting in the head, in addition to a lot of other people. But after this first mission, which was kind of mysterious what it was, he is assigned a new mission to flush out and eliminate a Sudanese warlord by the name of Mokhtar, Al-Tayeb, who's played by Kevin Lane. Yeah, a guy by the name of Kevin Lane is playing a Sudanese warlord by the name of Mokhtar Al-Tayeb. Hmm, very questionable casting there. But this warlord is the prime suspect of a bombing in a Paris hotel. 
And that actually should have been the very beginning of the film, that bombing. But instead, you see the bombing on uh, a news clip. And it would have been better, I think, for this film to actually show the bombing actually happen, not showing it for exposition on news clips, or not just showing the news footage. But anyway, to get closer to his target, Adam infiltrates the Pastore Crime Syndicate and earns the trust of the gangster boss, Victor Pastore, who's played by Eric Cantona, by demonstrating his physical power during altercations with rival gangsters. In the process, he unexpectedly bonds with Victor's stepson, Jonathan, who's played by No Shaba. And I don't know if No Shaba is French or Italian like Eric Cantona was, but I thought the best parts of this movie were when Alban Lenore was actually bonding with No Shaba, especially one scene during a birthday party. But a lot of the rest of the film is unfortunately a lot of bullets flying and a lot of people getting killed. And it felt a little bit more like a video game than it did a movie a lot of the time. The only time that it didn't was when there was actual humanity involved. For example, there is one person who's working in this crime syndicate who you find out his reason behind the job that he does and also, you begin to feel for this character as well. But Alban Lenore plays Adam Franco, I think, in every other scene except for the scenes where he is bonding with his gangster son, almost kind of muted in a sense. And he's just still a tough guy. He's still firing bullets and bringing some presumably even worse people than himself down to the ground, and that's really about it. So I think AKA is a thrilling film in a lot of aspects, and if you're looking for a film where you just leave your brain at the door, presumably like the Fast and Furious movies, or at least I suspect so, then you won't find anything too off-key with AKA. But I felt almost like... The film had some very good scenes where there was character development, but in the end, the Adam Franco character, who's front and center here, uh, is not particularly memorable and not like any other action star that I'd seen in any other films previously. There's a lot of impressive cinematography here, and when character development actually happens, it's really good character development. The problem is, the character development kind of takes a back seat with about 80% of the rest of the film. So AKA is a thrilling ride if you're looking for that kind of thing, but it doesn't have a lot of substance, which is why I give AKA my rating of a strikeout. I think a lot of the good things that I mentioned, like the cinematography and the character development, are the things that actually made this film stand out in a really good way, but there needed to be a lot more, and a lot more, I should say, than bullets flying. And for those people out there who are native English speakers who don't speak a word of French, who might be distracted by reading the bottom of the screen, I will say there's enough action here to maybe make you think that reading the bottom of the screen isn't so bad, or you might just not read at the bottom of the screen and just look at all the action that happens here. But I think that's part of the problem. This isn't a thinking man's movie, and it hints at being a thinking man's movie sometimes, but it ultimately kind of takes that thinking man back and almost sort of appeals to the people who like action without substance. And that is really too bad for a film of this kind of quality and this kind of caliber.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, which is What's Coming Up Next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for the week of May 22nd through May 26th, 2023. And actually, I'm not going to be doing my podcast for the week end of May 26th through May 28th, 2023, because I will be out of town on vacation. But I will be seeing a lot of these new films, and I will be reviewing them for you on a future show. And there are a lot of big movies that are coming out this coming weekend. The biggest movie that is both the most anticipated and the most reviled before it even came out is The Little Mermaid. This is a film that is released by Disney and is a controversial live-action remake of the 1989 film that was fully animated and was Disney's comeback film after a very hard decade of making films that underperformed, including animated films. Yeah, in the 80s, Disney was struggling. I think it was both reeling from the death of Walt Disney even after 20 years and it was also making some animated films that, while technically impressive, sort of missed the mark here and there. And the biggest example of that is The Black Cauldron, which bombed so hard in 1985 that, first of all, the Care Bears movie made more money than The Black Cauldron. And secondly, Disney was so ashamed of it that it didn't release it on home video for 13 years. So by the time it was officially released on VHS in 1998, a lot of people didn't even know that the movie existed. I didn't even know it existed. And The Black Cauldron came out when I was alive. Granted, I was three years old, maybe even two years old because it came out during the summer. But yeah, I had never heard of The Black Cauldron. But anyway, I'm getting off topic here. The Little Mermaid, the live-action remake, is... Controversial for a couple of reasons. First of all, people are generally tired of the live-action remakes in general. And I'm not saying that everyone is, but I kind of am. There have been some impressive live-action remakes that I've seen. Of course, the 101 Dalmatians from 1996 was a good live-action remake of its animated predecessor. I was very impressed by the remake of Pete's Dragon. And I think that film... The, the remake, not the original, is highly underrated. But it came after... It, it did what Disney is supposed to do. Not remake its great films, but remake its more mediocre films. And while Pete's Dragon from 1977 was impressive in a technical sense, how it blended live action with animation, or maybe the opposite, I, I think that the remake of Pete's Dragon improved upon what the original Pete's Dragon lacked. So I was impressed with that live-action remake. I also really liked the live-action remake of Cinderella, which was directed by Kenneth Branagh. And the biggest asset I, I thought of Cinderella was, first of all, it had the perfect casting choice in casting the, the woman who played Cinderella. She was great. And secondly, it did things that were different from the Disney animated film. And the the live-action remakes that I hated were ones that didn't necessarily look bad, but didn't do very much different from the, the films it was remaking. And the, the one that I probably hated the most was The Lion King, which came out in 2019. It was a financial success, but I don't know anyone who loved the film. And I, I said it back then, and I say it now, If the original Lion King, which came out in theaters in 1994, was already a great movie, why remake it? So I I have the same reservations about The Little Mermaid, but I do actually have to say that I like some of the casting choices here. For one, the Little Mermaid in this film, Ariel, is played by Halle Bailey. And I really have to watch how I say her name because I don't want to accidentally say Halle Berry. But (laughs) I'm not the only one who's made that mistake. 
But Halle Bailey, I know can act because I've seen her on the show Grownish, and she was very good on that show alongside her sister Chloe Bailey. I've heard her sing as she and Chloe Bailey actually sang the theme to the show Grownish. So I think she'll do a good job here. A lot of people are, shall we say, annoyed by Halle Bailey's casting because she's a black actress who's playing what used to be a white princess. And to those people, I say, to hell with you. That's the wrong reason to hate this movie. I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Halle Bailey play Ariel, and that's probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most. And interestingly enough, Lizzo, the singer and, and rapper, really wanted to play Ursula, but instead the filmmakers cast Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. And I don't know if Melissa McCarthy is the best choice for uh, being Ursula. I, I don't. Maybe I'm just used to the animated version and how the animated Ursula is nothing like Melissa McCarthy. But again, I'm going to give Melissa McCarthy a chance here. I think it was probably good they didn't cast Lizzo because Lizzo is very likable and you're supposed to hate the Disney villain. And to have somebody as likable as Lizzo play someone you're supposed to hate, I think probably would have been a bad move. But I hope that Lizzo gets in another film sometime soon. The only film I've seen her in so far has been Hustlers. And she was only in that film for about five minutes. But she made quite the impression when she did. But some of the other um, casting choices in this film are interesting, I, I should say. Uh, Prince Eric is played by Jonah Howard King, who I don't know. King Triton is played by Javier Bardem. And I think that's a questionable casting choice, probably even more questionable than Melissa McCarthy, because if you're going to have Ariel be black, why not have King Triton be black too? Come on. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. But anyway, Javier Bardem has the role. And also there's another character who is presumably Ariel's mother, whose name is Queen Selena. And she's played by an actress named Noma Dumezwini who I don't know, but she's also black for the record. So it's implied that Ariel is biracial and there's nothing wrong with that. But I still think they should have made King Triton black. But The Little Mermaid is a film that I will see. I'm not going to guarantee that I'll love it. Hopefully it will do something different that the Disney animated film didn't do previously. If it's a shot-for-shot -shot remake of the original, then I'm going to hate it. But I might like this film, but I don't anticipate that I'm going to love it. But I'm still going to give it a chance, and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 26th, 2023, is a film that's called The Machine. And The Machine, I'm not going to talk as much about, because I don't know as much about this film as I do The Little Mermaid live-action remake. But it's about a guy by the name of Bert whose drunken past catches up with him 20 years down the road when he and his father are kidnapped by those Bert wronged 20 years ago while drunk on a college semester abroad in Russia. This is this sounds like a very interesting film, and because the Russians are the bad guys again after about 20 years, I'm interested to see this kind of film, but... Bert in this film is played by a stand-up comedian by the name of Bert Kreischer, who I actually don't know. And I don't know if he's playing himself or if he's playing another guy by the name of Bert. I don't know. But his father in this film, Albert Kreischer, is played by Mark Hamill. And I'll see anything that Mark Hamill is in, because even if Mark Hamill is in a bad movie, Mark Hamill gives it his all. And I'm not just talking about Star Wars. I'm talking about films even where he provides his uh, voice for animation. Whenever he's in a movie or a TV show, he gives it everything. So it's been a little while since we've seen Mark Hamill in a live action movie. It's been a long while for me. me. And this might be one of those underground films that serves as the antithesis for The Little Mermaid that might get a cult following after this. But we'll see. And I hope to see this film. And if I do, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on May 26th, 2023, is a movie that's called About My Father, which should actually get a wider audience 
because of its reputation than the machine will. But that is also a film that is a comedy, a live action comedy, and it stars Sebastian Maniscalco and Robert De Niro. And Sebastian Maniscalco, Maniscalco, excuse me, actually plays a guy by the name of Sebastian. So that's quite a coincidence where you have two stand-up comedians starring in comedies where they play a guy who has the same name as them. So I don't know if it like in the machine, Sebastian Maniscalco is playing himself or just playing another guy named Sebastian. But given that Sebastian Maniscalco co-wrote this film, he's probably playing himself. But when Sebastian tells his old school Italian immigrant father, Salvo, who's played by Robert De Niro, that he is going to propose to his all-American girlfriend, who's played by Leslie Bibb, Salvo insists on crashing a weekend with her Tony parents. Tony parents. Interesting adjective right there. But I am uh, very interested in seeing this film. Honestly, when I look at some of the posters of the film, it reminds me of a film that Robert De Niro did with Zac Efron called Bad Grandpa, which was really, really bad. It was a film that definitely tried to be funny and tried to be raunchy, but it ended up kind of pleasing no one. And there were times where I winced in that film, but I didn't really laugh. And Zac Efron was not the reason that the film was bad. Actually, I thought Zac Efron was one of the better parts of the film. What was wrong with the film was just about everything else. But I'll give this film a chance. In addition to Sebastian Maniscalco, Robert De Niro, and Leslie Bibb, the film also stars Kim Cattrall, Anders Holm, and David Rash, amongst other people. So About My Father is a film that I anticipate that I will see, and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 26, 2023 is a film that's called Kandahar. And this is a film I may skip, or if I really want to get a film on my worst of 2023 list at the end of the year, I might check this one out. But the reason that I anticipate that this film is going to be bad is because it stars Gerard Butler. And Gerard Butler is in a category of stars who get the lead in movies and he doesn't really deserve to get the lead in movies because he always plays the same kind of guy, the tough guy. And he plays this kind of character over and over again so much that his films are largely forgettable. Now I've made the same complaint about Liam Neeson as of recently, but Liam Neeson at least made some great films early on in his career. Gerard Butler is A, still playing the same kind of character he always plays, and B, he looks bored doing it. Now, I'll give Liam Neeson a little bit of credit. At least Liam Neeson puts some effort into his forgettable films. Gerard Butler, on the other hand, I don't know. He just kind of half asses it. So much so that it's a wonder he's still starring in films. But... I'm not one to say that somebody doesn't deserve a career. I'm just very mysterious. I'm just very mystified as to why Gerard Butler has one. But if you're interested in Kandahar, Gerard Butler plays a CIA operative, probably not the first time he's played one. And he, he and his translator flee from special forces in Afghanistan after exposing a covert mission. The director of this film is Rick Roman Wow, and besides Gerard Butler, the film also stars Navid Negaban, Ali Fazel, and Bahadur Faladi, amongst other people. I can't guarantee that this is a film that I will see, but if I do, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. But even though I can't make a judgment one way or the other unless I actually go into the theater and see the film for myself, I don't have high expectations for this one. It's Gerard Butler, and Gerard Butler is definitely has his bread and butter be action, but that bread and butter is very bland. The final film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 26, 2023, is a film that's called By Invitation Only, and this is a film that is described as a mystery. It's about a group that comes to a mysterious party and is given the option to participate in games in order to win an award, a, a reward, excuse me. Each character has his or her, let me start that again. His, each character has his or her 
own motivation for being in attendance, and not one of them knows exactly what connects them all. So this kind of sounds like a lot of other mystery movies. Definitely some classic comedies like Murder by Death or Clue. But it also kind of sounds like some of these other mysteries of, of late, like, for example, The Menu or Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. But I'm still very intrigued to see this film. It looks like a film that is a Nollywood film. And maybe I'm saying that because a vast majority of the cast is black, but I'm not going to make any judgments about whether this is a Nigerian film or not. But among the stars in the film include um, Angel Fabian Rivera, Roy Bercier, Enrique Fon, and Juliana Edge, amongst other people. I don't recognize any of these names, and the host of this invitation only event is played by an actor by the name of Jamar Washington and by invitation only looks really good. It looks low budget, but it looks like a film that might be worth watching. I can't guarantee whether it is good or not, but if it's coming out in the theater near me, I will see it and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, and I'm going into my next segment of What's Coming Up Next, where I give you a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released on streaming for the week of May 22nd through May 26th. And there are some new films, not a lot, but I'll tell you some of the films that are going to be appearing on the platform. On Monday, May 22nd, The Boss Baby is going to be appearing on Netflix. It's probably not the first time it's going to be appearing on the platform, but this is a film that is six years old at this point, and it still hasn't gotten better for me. I didn't really like The Boss Baby when I first saw it. I think I may have put it on my worst list of 2017, but ironically enough, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. It shouldn't have been nominated, but it was, uh, but if you're interested in watching it, by all means, go ahead. If you disagree with me, then that's fine. I have the microphone and you don't. But The Boss Baby will be appearing on Netflix on Monday, May 22nd. On Tuesday, May 23rd, there is a documentary that will be premiering on Netflix. And the documentary is called Victim Suspect. This is a film about a young woman or young women who tell the police they've been sexually assaulted, but instead of finding justice, they're charged with the crime of making a false report, arrested, and even imprisoned by the system they believed would protect them. Whew, that is some heavy subject matter right there. And the presumption here is that they actually were sexually assaulted. The fact that they were imprisoned for making the claim, that is really awful. Uh, but apparently it does happen in other parts of America and probably other parts of the world as well. But Victim Suspect is a film that I will see, and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. A movie that will be premiering on Tuesday, May 24th. There are actually two and the first one is called Hard Feelings. And Hard Feelings is a film that is about two best friends who try to make it through high school while dealing with embarrassing new urges and their very inconvenient feelings for each other. This film was directed by Granz Henman, and its original title is Hammerharte Jungs, which makes me believe that this film is Scandinavian. It's definitely foreign, but I can't tell exactly from what country it helms, but it's a film that will be premiering on Wednesday, May 24th. It's a film that I might see, and if I do, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. A film that will be appearing on Netflix as an original film is a film that's called Mother's Day. And yeah, 
Mother's Day was May 14th, and this film is a little late for the uh, for the streaming here. But it is a foreign film, and interestingly enough, it's not a comedy about Mother's Day. It looks to be an action film, and the tagline of this film is, Don't Mess With Mother. Well taken. But this movie is about Nina, who is a secretive ex-NATO special operations agent who must use all of her lethal skills to save her son, who has been kidnapped by ruthless gangsters. Now, this plot sounds almost identical, almost identical to the Jennifer Lopez film The Mother, which premiered on Netflix on May 12th, 2023. I saw it and I really liked it. Now, this film is a Polish film directed by Matusz Rakowicz and stars Agnieszka Grochowska. My uh, apologies for mispronouncing that name if I did. I don't know if I'm going to be seeing this film, but if I do, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And a film that will be premiering on Netflix on Friday, May 26th, there are actually two that are originals, and one of them is a film that's called Blood and Gold. The other one is a film that is called... Tin and Tina, and I don't know if I'm going to be, I'm not going to have time to give you a synopsis, but I'll do the best I can with what time I have. But Blood and Gold takes place at the end of World War II, where a German soldier, oh, which who's probably a Nazi soldier, is looking for his daughter while an SS troop is looking for a Jewish treasure. This one looks to be an American film. It's directed by Peter Thorworth, but I can't guarantee whether or not it is an American film or not, but it's a film that I might see and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. But as for Tin and Tina, I'm looking that up right now. And fortunately my computer is working well. This is a film that is about a woman by the name of Lola who after a tragic abortion, she and her husband Adolfo adopt Tin and Tina, two lovely brother and sister, two lovely children who are brother and sister with an ultra Catholic education that make them interpret Holy Bible verbatim. Judging from the poster of this film, this film looks like a horror film rather than a comedy. And it is directed by Ruben Stein. And this also looks to be a foreign film, if I'm not mistaken, but I do have to do some extra digging to see if it is a foreign film. And Ruben Stein is from Spain, interestingly enough, so presumably it's a foreign film. This is a film that looks interesting. I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to see it, but I'll let you know what I think if I do on a future show. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, and I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA or the station as a whole. Until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies, this is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.